This is episode 183 with sports psychology PhD, certified mental performance consultant, and someone who's worked with Olympians and four-year-olds, Dr. Duncan Simpson. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features mindset strategies to help you focus and avoid distraction from sports psychology PhD, Duncan Simpson. He's worked with athletes in multiple sports, from youth to Olympians, and has fundamental insights on mental skills that are going to help you improve your mindset around running. Before we start, I want to make sure we're all hurtling the same barrier. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, the coaches, performance psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, authors, and physical therapists who can help you elevate your running to new heights. Because when you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a wiser and more productive athlete. By the way, the Strength Running YouTube channel has tens of thousands of subscribers and hundreds of videos on weightlifting for runners, mindset training, how to run with better form, and a lot more. Search us on YouTube, subscribe, and you'll see every video we publish on a weekly basis. And of course, if you've never visited our website, this is where it all began, strengthrunning.com. For more than 10 years, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. We couldn't have made this episode without our sponsor, Elemental Labs. They make high-sodium electrolytes for athletes to help manage your hydration needs. And check this out. They're doing something awesome for Strength Running Podcast listeners. You can get a free Element sample pack. You just have to cover the cost of shipping, which is only $5 for U.S. customers. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to see all the details and claim your free electrolytes today. Each sample pack includes eight packets of element salt, two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two unflavored packets. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to sign up. Our guest today is Dr. Duncan Simpson, the Director of Personal Development at IMG Academy in Florida, which is what he describes as the Disneyland for sports. I definitely want to go. He's worked with young children, high school students, and professional and Olympic athletes in a whole range of sports. He was formerly an associate professor in the sport, exercise, and performance program at Barry University. He's also a certified consultant with the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. He joins us to talk about focus. This is often a misunderstood mental skill, and Duncan believes it's one of the most valuable. After all, if you can't focus, it doesn't matter how confident or mentally tough you might be. Our discussion focuses on short and long-term focus, how to avoid external distractions, but also internal distractions in your mind, and strategies to help you work on this skill during your training. Brain training is such an amazing performance multiplier that has virtually no drawbacks, but huge potential. I hope you take advantage of Duncan's expertise, and if you'd like to go deeper, we have a free series you can sign up for at strengthrunning.com brain. Without further delay, 
Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Duncan Simpson. Duncan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Jason. Absolute pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting because uh, of your background and where you work. And I, I think that's a good place to start. Um, let's talk a little bit more about where you work, because it's a very unique place that does quite a few different things. So how would you describe IMG and, and what you do at IMG? Yeah, great place to start. Uh, some people kind of called it like the Disneyland for sports, even though uh, Disney now has its own kind of sports area. But at IMG Academy, we're, we're based in Bradenton, Florida, and we are a large sports academy. We're a developmental academy, so it's really high school age athletes. We have approximately 1,200 student athletes spread across eight different sports. Um, it was founded by Nick Bollettieri, the famous tennis coach, and we started with tennis and then transitioned into golf. And now we have eight sports, in, including track and field. And um, my day-to-day role now has changed a little bit. I'm, I'm the director of uh, personal development. So what that means is I oversee the mental conditioning department where we have 12 mental coaches and the leadership department where we have four leadership coaches. So I oversee those two departments. Um, and we sit underneath athletic and personal development, which includes sports science, athletic training, and strength and conditioning. So we're kind of a holistic support mechanism around the student athletes. A um, couple more things that may be of interest. We have 80 plus different nationalities on campus and about 50% of our student athletes are international. So we have a real diversity of, of a student body and uh, most of them are living away from home. So it's a, it's a unique place uh, and no day's ever the same. <laughs> That's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like how your job is so holistic in nature, as you mentioned. It seems like you really don't just focus on these kids as just athletes. You see them as full people, you know, who need to be developed as full people. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that because, you know, you're the director of personal development and that does seem like an interesting title. I don't think I've ever heard it before. <laughs> Can we talk a bit more about that holistic nature of developing not just an athlete, but a person? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with our, with our population, we're working with high school athletes. Uh, and I think you have a duty of care. And our duty of care is to look after the athlete, but more importantly, look after the person. There is such an important age in adolescence where we need to make sure that they're developing the right way. Um, our job is to prepare them really for the next level. While some of our athletes may go professional straight out of high school, that's a very, very small uh, number based on you know sports. We may have some in, in tennis and golf, but really the other sports, it's preparing them for college, preparing them you know, down the road maybe for professional. But really... The reality is even though we place about 60% of our student athletes will graduate into Division One sports and about 90% plus will go into Division One, Two, or Three, which is incredible, um, we know most of them will not go professional. So our duty of care is to really make sure we, we develop the whole well-rounded person. So um, if you think about it, Jason, we, we have really four dimensions to campus. I'd say we have the sports themselves, the eight sports. We have um, athletic and personal development that I fall under. We have uh, campus life, which is kind of the boarding, the residential um, support network. And then we have the school. So we have those four areas. So while, you know, 
yes, I'm the director of personal development under athletic and personal development. We have coaches that support, we have tutors, we have campus life, you know, we have the teachers um, and the coaches. We have everybody around the athletes to hopefully, you know, ensure they have, you know, maximize their athletic success. But more importantly, I think, is to make sure that they develop well-rounded as a well-rounded human being and we prepare them to excel in college if that's their next chosen step. This sounds fun. I'm going to be on the next flight. I think I want to go to the <laughs> Disneyland of sports. <laughs> well, maybe we can talk a little bit more about uh, some specific mental skills, because I, I think that you're working with such a, an interesting group of people, high school aged athletes who are definitely, you know, they're at the beginning of this developmental journey. And, and like you said, you have this responsibility of care. And at this age, I do think it's more important to develop some of those foundational habits, some of those, you know, fundamental uh, mindsets around sport to really help them excel, whether that that's at the college level, or maybe even at the pro level, even though only a, you know, a small percentage of your athletes will make it there. But, you know, of all the different mental skills that athletes might be interested in developing from, you know, mental toughness to anxiety management, I know that you've said in the past that focus is the most important mental skill. Why is that, Duncan? It is a good question. There's definitely people that may push back on me on that. But I, I really think in, in order to perform whatever task we're doing in life, um, we can be confident, we can manage our emotions, but literally task-specific, if we're not focused on the right thing at the right time, then we're not going to be able to execute the skill in, you know, right in front of us. Uh, if, if I take uh, emotional management, for example, it's interconnected with focus. If, if I'm super hyper aware of my emotions, then I'm also directing an internal focus. And, and there's a biological part of this, but I'm directing my focus internally on how I'm feeling as opposed to necessarily externally on my task. So I think focus plays in and, and connects every other piece. But in order to maximize any execution of a skill, whether it's a whether it's hitting a ball or whether it's throwing or whether it's running, we still have to be able to focus on the task at hand. So that's why I think focus is the most important. And it's also one of the ones that's the, the simplest, but also the most tricky. And I know I'm kind of contradicting myself that, but our ability to focus singly on one task is um, challenging looking at you know all the challenges all the possible distractions that we could have in a competitive environment being distracted is very easy and we see that every single day and i'm sure we can all attest to that just you know trying to listen to something trying to do any kind of task it's so easy to get distracted yeah and just as you were talking my watch buzzed to tell me that i had you know burned <laughs> the number of calories that i should be burning today i don't even know if i had that function set up so Yes, let's talk about distractions as I'm currently being distracted right now. Um, you know, I'd love to talk about distractions in a potentially bigger way than just, you know, the lore of your Instagram app on your phone or, you know, someone off in the stands who might be heckling you, you know, as you're running a track race or something like that. But really larger distractions that can eat up much more of your time over the long term. So maybe long term distractions. How do you think about managing distractions for you know high performance athletes? Yeah, I think I think distractions is a good question, Jason. I think I think they're really contextual, and it's it's important to identify in each context where do your distractions lie. And I think it 
is contextual and is individualized. So if I take a an athlete, um, some people, some athletes are going to get easily distracted by a crowd. And some athletes, they won't even recognize there's a crowd there. Some will get uh, distracted very easily from an in- internal um, emotional point of view. Some Some athletes won't. So I think for athletes themselves, it's recognizing in each context, whether, you know, I'm, I'm sat talking to someone, whether I'm in a classroom, whether I'm at work, whether I'm actually in the performance environment, what tend to be, you know, my attentional feeds. We talk to our athletes about what steals your attention, what takes it away, what are the things that distract you the most? So unless we know what those are, then we can't even start on a plan of, of managing those if we don't have that self-awareness. So it, it really is a self-awareness exercise. So um, myself, and I, I will maybe get onto this, you know, I, I practice mindfulness every morning. And for me, you know, my attention is, is stolen all the time by my internal thoughts. I continuously get distracted. Um, in a performance environment, uh, it's, it's less so about internal it's more about external, what's going on in my performance environment. So I think everybody needs to raise awareness about what, what distracts you. Um, and, and then kind of, dig, you know, taking a deep dive into, well, why is that distraction for you? So if the crowd, for example, is a distraction, well, what is it? What are the things about a crowd? Why is that distracting for you? Is it about, you know, a fear of failure in front of other people? Is it just the sound? Is it trying to impress other people in the crowd? What is it about the crowd? So then we can dig a little deeper and we can perhaps tease apart some of those things and break down why that distraction is occurring. Yeah, that reminds me of when I ran the Boston Marathon in 2014. It was one year after the bombings at Boston. And there were, I believe, double the number of fans alongside the course. And and I remember being incredibly distracted by being yelled at for close to three hours and and that's not something that I was really used to, even though I had run, you know, the, the New York City Marathon at that point. And, and I know for me, that is one of those very specific, unique distractions that I really don't like. I like to get in the zone and not really think about, you know, the broader outside world. And that was really hard when there's hundreds of people yelling and cheering for you constantly. And so I just think that's really uh instructive to look back on your own training, your own performance experiences, and try to find out, you know, where are those moments where you might get distracted? Uh, Can we talk about distractions that might not be external, but internal? Because, you know, in the sport of running, it is such a mental game, because you're very often alone with your thoughts for the entirety of the race. And it's one of those sports where, you know, you're not really communicating with teammates. And so a lot of runners do get lost in their own head and they get distracted by, can I maintain this pace until the end of the race? Am I going to be able to finish strong and kick at the end? You know, how do we kind of get out of our own heads and not be distracted by all those internal thoughts that might actually not be very productive? Yeah, it's a, it is an, another good question, Jason. I think I think for athletes, it's about considering those those internal or that internal dialogue. Is it is it taking me in a direction that I want, or is it taking me away from a direction? So is that is that inner dialogue um, helpful or, or hurtful? And I, and I simplify that with athletes. It's not necessarily good or bad, but is this helping me in what I'm trying to do? Or is it or is it hurting me? So for for, for example, what would what we tend to call negative self-talk, um, 
which would sound negative to a lot of people if we vocalized it, for some people, and again, I'm not advocating this, but for some people, they may actually use that as a form of motivation. They may use it and direct it, and they believe that it's directing them in a positive in a, in a positive place. So, for example, if you've slipped behind your pacing time, you may kind of scold yourself a little bit, you know, beat yourself up a little bit, but it, you're using it and it's directing the right way. So I'm not here to say you're right or wrong. It's just you're making that assessment. Is this in a dialogue putting me in the right direction or is it not? So, for example, if we go out for a run, you know, it's it's cold, it's wet, it's windy, and our internal dialogue is this sucks. I, I you know I need to go back to bed. Like, why am I doing this? Is this you know this is this is pointless? Blah blah. Like that's obviously that's not taking us in a direction that's going to be beneficial to us. So I think it's again the internal dialogue, just like the distractions. It's raising your own self awareness about what that internal dialogue is and what are our, what are tend to be our patterns in our internal dialogue. And again, is it helping me? Or is it hurting me? And, and when I frame it helping or hurting, we can pretty much understand that dichotomy and then say, okay, well, if it's, if it's continuously hurting me, then I really need to change something. And it's not about, hey, I need to be positive about every situation and I need to speak positively to myself, but I can switch to neutral self-talk. I can more instructional in terms of it may be, hey, all of a sudden my, my pace has dropped, but it may be in and around, hey, I've, I've, I've got to work on my technique a little bit. I'm slumping. You know, I need to, you know, change my gait whatever it might be so it's more instructional around the running as opposed to hey i got this i can do this and really you know at times uh, and, I, and i've run marathons like it, it really it's really tough and to find a positive is really difficult in certain moments but you can always find you don't have to be negative and uh you can always find something that directs you in in the direct uh, find something to verbalize or direct you in the way you want to be going have you ever discovered with athletes that, you know, when we are talking about this issue and how self-awareness is so important to it, you know, actually being aware of where your focus is and when you get distracted and what is distracting you, have you ever run into the problem that a lot of people just aren't self-aware enough to really be able to effectively answer those questions? And how do you help athletes become more self-aware so that, you know, they can actually go through some of these exercises and, and really pinpoint those distractions and, and where they are, when they occur. And then only then can they really take some steps to mitigate that. Yeah. And I, I work with athletes of all ages. I've worked with athletes as, as young as four, as crazy as that sounds. And, and I've worked with um, athletes, you know, into fifties and sixties. So the level of maturity, definitely plays in the also the the level of um skill and ability they've reached so for example if you take a you know a, a top top international junior tennis player but they maybe reach top 10 in the world they'll have incredible self-awareness even if they are 15 16 compared to your usual 15 and 16 role based on their competition level uh i, I think drawing out some of that self-awareness uh it, it really comes down to asking good questions, asking asking them to reflect on certain moments. I would say at times that uh, I've also worked with athletes whereby that level of self-awareness is not super high, and that's also beneficial. So um, I've worked, for example, with golfers whereby, I wouldn't say intelligence, that, that's the wrong term, but lower level of self-awareness, but they certainly were not particularly analytical but that actually really helped them. So they didn't overanalyze. They kind of hit the shot. They 
thought about what they needed to do next and they got on with it. They weren't over analytical. And for certain people, that's beneficial. Um, I would say the majority of people, we're not, <laughs> we, we need to aid self-awareness in, in our mental process. We, like if we don't understand our own uh, mind and, and how do we possibly make it work the best for us? Uh, so again, I think it's about asking good questions. Again, I think asking people to reflect as it's a running podcast and a lot of people do this anyway, we'll be keeping, you know, running, running journals or running logs would be to reflect upon the mindset piece of it after that run. You know, we're going to put down pacing, we're going to put down mileage, maybe put down conditions, but you know, what was going on? What were the things that were going on? What was the internal dialogue? What were some of the themes? And it may just be a couple of notes, but if you're training for, you know, we've got a 16 week training block, you're going to see some consistency in terms of, well, oh, that that seems to be my pattern. And I think those that are experienced runners, pre, you know, you're out on the road by yourself a lot, then you, you end up having to know yourself. You, you will end up knowing yourself pretty well. Now, whether you like that person that you end up knowing is a different topic, but you do add that self-awareness. And I think that's honestly from a therapeutic point of view why running is very beneficial because people can work through some of the challenges. They can reflect. At times, it's less technique oriented. If we're just going on a slow, long run, then it's less technique focused and perhaps track and field. So we can aid just that that self reflective process, and it can be very meditative. So um, again, I'm not sure if I quite hit all the points you're asking, Jason. But again, that that kind of reflection, asking themselves questions, and then realizing that you know sometimes self awareness or lack of self awareness can be beneficial in certain circumstances. I do think it's incredibly useful to use your training log as not just a place where, you know, you're writing in, you know, the substitute for Strava, you know, it's not just the amount you ran, the pace, you know, the distance and all that. It's also how you felt all of that subjective, emotional feelings around, especially the harder things that you do, you know, the workouts, the long runs, and even the races, I think it's really beneficial to actually almost write a little journal entry. How do you feel? Uh, what was your headspace like before, during and after, you know, the effort, and you can pick up a lot of different uh, trends and, and things like that over time. And, you know, over time, you will get to know yourself a little bit better. And I think that is a very actionable way to start incorporating, you know, some of these lessons into your training and, and to practice being more self-aware is to use that training log. Um, you know, if, if someone is new to sports psychology and, and they want to improve their focus, you know, during a workout, they also want to stay focused for an entire season and they want to stay, stay focused on their running for year after year after year, because it's such a cumulative sport. Um, you know, I'm very curious to hear from you, Duncan, um, if you're just getting started with things and, and just getting started with, with working on mental skills like this, what are some of the classic mistakes? What are the frequent misconceptions that runners might have or the traps they might fall into when they start incorporating some of these more self-awareness or mindfulness strategies within their training? Yeah, I think, I think there's a common misperception that you know, um, when we start that awareness and, and we may not like what we hear, we may not like how we feel, we may not like the outcomes of our performances, that that all of a sudden we we self-identify that we're either mentally we're not good, 
and emotionally, you know, I, I don't manage my emotions or I'm not mentally tough, whatever, whatever words you want to put around it, we can have that, especially that early perception if we, if we struggle from a performance point of view. I think the reason I go there is that, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with some pretty high level athletes, whether it's, um, you know, top tennis players and some Olympians and, they still have a lot of the things we're talking about here that uh, an absolute beginner will have. They still have the doubts. They still have the distractions. They still have those confidence issues. They, they, they have those. So over time and experience, do you learn to manage some of these things? Absolutely. But I think as a beginning athlete, it's recognizing that, you know, I tell my, my youth athletes all the time, and it is a cliche and it's a bumper sticker, but you're perfectly imperfect, that all of us have doubts all of us come up with these challenges and you're unique. And some of you, some of the listeners will struggle with anxiety more than others. Some will struggle with focus more than others. Some will fo- will struggle with confidence on one day and not the other day. And, and we don't, we don't get it. And, and we're, we can get frustrated by it, but the reality is we're, we're human beings. And um, just accepting that emotions are just part of that human experience. I can't, I, you know, I talk to my athletes, like I, I can't get rid of your quote unquote negative or unhelpful emotions. We can learn to manage them a little bit, but we can't get rid of them. They're part of the human experience. If we, you know, if we could manage them, we'd all walk around being happy all day, but that's not, that's just not reality. So we have to manage that human experience and realize, Hey, the lows and the really tough moments, the challenges when it's, you know, you're doing your 20 mile run or whatever you might be doing or, or hill sprints and you feel the worst you possibly felt like that's kind of the, you know, part of that process and part of what makes the crossing the finish line, the joyous, the joyous part that it is because we've been through the lows and we've been through the challenges. So I think it's just understanding. And I know this, uh, you know, may sound, you know, kind of a little bit out there, but just if, if people just take a step back and realize that participation in physical activity, sport, that it's 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 about an experience and it's not necessarily good or bad it's just like you're going to have different experiences and i think athletes want to go in and feel great and and have this amazing mindset the whole time and that's just not realistic so i think you know being kind to yourself understanding it's a process understanding you'll get to know yourself a little bit better understanding that we're all creatures that a little bit different and a little bit quirky we're all perfectly imperfect and just learning to understand yourself and what works best for you. That's a good message. Be kind to yourself. I mean, running is is so incredibly hard. I remember a conversation I had with one of the best marathoners here in the US, Noah Drotti, and he was talking about how you will have more bad runs than you will good runs, but that will make those good runs, those fantastic workouts where you just, the effort feels effortless so much better. And I couldn't agree more. But what happens if, you know, we have a bad race or we run a workout and we completely tank or we bomb it, we don't hit the splits that we're supposed to, how, how do you recommend athletes refocus on the things that they can control after a poor performance? How do they get their head back on straight and, you know, just get back into the game as opposed to, you know, wallowing and, and lacking the ability to then refocus on what they can actually do in their training to to improve upon the bad performance they might have just had yeah it, it i think 
for me, it's it's getting down to understanding and, and being honest in that self-reflection about what happened and, you know, breaking it down. Um, you know, obviously it, it could be technical. Um, it, it could be, you know, weather related. It could be, you know, fueling, hydration. It could be the mental part. You know, having an honest and, and in-depth understanding and breaking it down, not sticking your head in the sand, but, but what happened? We, we all know if you've run a lot that, you know, some days you wake up, you've done everything right, you go out for a run and you just feel awful. And you, you can't you can't quite pinpoint it. You're not quite sure why it happened. You've done your training great, you get to race day and it, and it falls apart. But a lot of us don't really want to dig too deep into why that may be. Maybe we've overcooked it. Maybe we haven't recovered properly. Maybe our, our nutrition, our hydration, our sleep was a little bit off. So I think honestly trying to get to that answer. Uh, we may not always get to a, a, a concrete answer, an answer we're satisfied with, but I think reflections reflections the first key point. I think how do we get back on the horse? I think the most important thing is preparation. So what are we what are we doing in terms of setting ourselves up for success the next time we go back out? You know, confidence is built off preparation. So we need to make sure that we prepare properly. From all the elements we talked to talked about the kind of the the, the actual runs itself, the, you know, the recovery, the nutrition, the hydration, the sleep. Um, so we, we've got to make sure that we prepare properly. And then we have to be really cognizant of the story that we're telling ourselves. What is that inner dialogue? So those are the two big areas that confidence is based off the, the preparation and, and also that internal dialogue. And I like to use that, that phrase of what is the story I'm telling myself? Because I think we all create a story in our mind about why things are the way they are. So, for example, I, I had a bad race and it's, you know, I'm just not mentally tough or I'll never get this or, you, you know, um, I should have done this, this and this. I knew my training was wrong. Whatever story we want to create around it, because we want to we want to create a narrative of why things happen. So I think being aware of that inner dialogue and what is that story you're creating? And again, is that story helping me in a direction I want to go? Or is it taking me in a direction I don't want to go? So I, I look at those two things, preparation and then that inner dialogue, the the story is being absolutely essential to kind of getting back on the horse proverbially. Yeah. And I, I think the idea of looking back over a poor performance and really being honest with yourself on why that happened in the first place is incredibly valuable. And I think too, that having someone else to talk things over with is probably just as important because I think whether that's a coach, whether it's a training partner who understands you and your training and your running, uh, they can really see other things that you can't see because you're so emotionally invested in your running. You know, everyone knows that we create stories that, that you know, pat our ego on the back and make us, you know, feel better about ourselves. Because I know as a coach, when I'm working with a lot of runners and, you know, often when they have a bad workout or a race doesn't go the way that we want it to go, often the story that they have is different from the story that I have. And my reason for why they may not have performed as well might be very different from theirs. And I think that outside perspective is a very valuable thing to have on your training because it, it kind of gets you out of your own head. You know, I know what I think about my running, but what is, what does that other accomplished runner think? Or what does my coach think? And, and that can be a really interesting way of getting good feedback about your training, about a race performance that you might not have given yourself. And, and I think that's an interesting way to, uh, to get that feedback too. 
Yeah, I've, I've got actually a real quick, great example of that. Um, and probably uh, some of the listeners will will connect with this. Um, my first ever marathon, I ran Nashville Marathon, and still probably the best shape I've ever gone into it. And then I trained by myself. Um, I had a friend who was a you know sub three marathon runner that had helped me a lot with kind of the training plan. But I'd, I'd done all the training myself. I got to race day, and um, there was actually a few other people that I knew. And one of the, a guy who was a friend of a friend said, "Hey, do you want to run together?" And I was like, "Sure." <laughs> you know, it sounds like just a ridiculous thing now when I say it. But I was like, "Sure, I'll run with you." Not really thinking about pacing. Not really thinking about like I haven't done this. I haven't been training with somebody else. I haven't been worrying about somebody else. So you know, I go off and run with a friend of a friend, and and it just be, ends up being the worst idea I could have possibly done because it just completely upset my pacing my you know my fueling what i was trying to do and again i kind of afterwards i was you know oh man i had such a terrible race like i just blew up and i blew up like halfway through which had never happened in my training runs and my friend was like well what happened i was like yeah well i ran with it and he was like you ran with someone else and i was like yeah he was like well they <laughs> like it was just that simple but i didn't realize it as a pretty inexperienced runner at the time but more you know he's like well that's not how you've been training you've got to so again, that simple reflection of, of speaking to someone who's an experienced runner or, or mentor, however you, you coach, whatever you want to pick is absolutely important. Cause like you said, they'll, they're going to pick out things that you'll just, you just won't realize like what are the mistakes I made? And there's always someone more experienced you can find to help you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now was the person you were running with, were they like a two fifteen marathoner and you didn't know what you were getting yourself into? Yeah, they were the elites right at the front and I was just trying to run sub four, but now, I mean, I don't think they were too far off, but they were definitely quicker than me. And he, you know, and yeah, it was just a bad idea. I was talking to people and it's just not what I'd been doing. So it completely threw me off. And as a novice marathon runner, that's the worst thing. Like you have to be able to run your own race and you have to be able to you know, manage a lot of things that go along with that first day, you know, that first race experience that you've never had before. So yeah, he wasn't a 215, but he was definitely quicker than me. <laughs> well, my wife ran the rock and roll Nashville half marathon, and she said it was a very hilly course. So you yeah, probably, yeah, you, you were, you were, uh, biting off a lot there. <laughs> Well, Duncan, uh, this has been really interesting. And I think the skill, the mental skill of focus is one that, you know, may not actually be very sexy when athletes think about it, but it's one of those skills that can really help you in the long term by making sure that you're focusing on the right thing at the right time. Uh, but what have I missed about this topic of focus? Is there anything else you'd like to add for our running listeners? Yeah, I think um, we we when I was in academia, I published a couple of studies that did one on, um, one on runners, uh, long distance runners, and then some on ultra runners. And I think, I think what we found is pretty interesting that, um, at, at certain times it's very, it's very useful for runners to, to have their focus external. So external targets, continuously external. So for example, if we're really struggling internally through, through pain, struggling with emotions is to externally focus on and and again this is not revolutionary but okay what's my you know what's my target okay it's that next lamppost it's that next tree it's that next mile marker okay i'm literally looking at that person in front of me i'm watching the bottom of their shoes as they as they tick over like externally what am i focusing on 
Um, internally, what we found is that the stronger runners, the more experienced runners um, who are very used to pacing and, and, you know, kind of if you think about the elites, they don't run with a watch in, in terms of race days. So they're very attuned to their body. They're very attuned to pacing. So when you get become more experienced, those feelings are things internally you can focus on and you can manage, okay, I'm running at this pace. If you're, if you're a novice and you say, what pace are you running at? Most novices have no idea. They could, they could be completely off, especially on the, those race day. You're like, oh, I'm going at this pace. No, you're going like way, you're not going, you know, nine minute miles. You're going like seven and a half. You don't even realize because the adrenaline, but I think experienced runners can dial in internally. So I think a couple of things is to recognize the internal versus the external focus. I think one part of training that um, when we did a study and we looked at it that was very interesting was the environment in which you run. And I don't think that can be, um, you know, uh, isn't really talked about enough, but the the aesthetics and also the enjoyment of training and training in a certain environment. You know, we had people really um, articulate how much they love running out in nature, seeing wildlife, being away from the city, being outdoors, you know, seeing, you know, whether it's the ocean or trees, whatever it was, and really having that enjoyment and connection with nature was absolutely essential to their running experience. Now, we may not all have that, you know, we may live in a city and, and we may be challenged by some of those, but I think being able to run out in nature, connect with nature is actually really important, especially from a training point of view. So, so I'd, I'd encourage the listeners, hey, where possible is to pick runs and pick locations that you really enjoy and focus on it and soak it in and soak in whether it's beautiful weather or it's, you know, you're seeing wildlife or just a beautiful landscape to really focus on that, those things because that can really add to that joy of running where sometimes it can get, you know, it can get mundane in our training process. So selecting the environment in which you're training can also really impact our focus. That just reminds me of when I was running in high school, it wasn't until my junior year that we started running on a lot of the conservation land in our town. And all of a sudden, we were running more mileage per week, we were having more fun. And it it was just amazing, because I knew that we were running more, but I was having more fun doing it because we were exploring all these trails that we had never seen before. And it was beautiful. I mean, we had wetlands and and some woods, and it was just a really beautiful place to train. And it certainly does make the miles go by a little bit easier. Um, There was one more thing that I wanted to touch on, Duncan, that I think is super valuable that I think is getting lost in our modern world today. And that's with that idea of pacing and really knowing what different paces feel like. And, And you were saying how more experienced runners, more advanced runners do have a better intuitive feeling of what different paces feel like. And this just reminds me when I was in college, uh, our coach would not let us race with a watch. And there were some workouts where we didn't wear a watch either. And it was one of those things where at first it was so annoying. And, you know, we were all trash talking my coach behind his back. We want our watches. You know, time is important in the sport of running. But after a while, we got really good at pacing ourselves. And and my coach could say, get on the track and run a 545 mile or a 530 mile or a five minute mile. And we would know exactly what those different paces felt like you know, how the track felt under our legs, how the wind felt against our, our legs, you know, what our respiration was like. And, and I think 
Today, with everyone wearing a GPS watch, with everyone so obsessed with tracking every metric, you don't build that intuitive sense of pace anymore. And, and I think something is being lost there because that is a set, that is almost a form of intelligence, isn't it? Uh, an, an athletic intelligence specific to the sport of running that I think is so valuable. How, besides not running with a watch, you know, are there certain ways that we can, you know, build that skill in our training? Yeah, I think the your, your points are really good on Jason. And, you, you know, we look at the best runners in the world, especially for long distance. I mean, you know, they haven't historically grown up, you know, pacing with pacing with watches and technology. And again, there's nothing wrong with, with technology. In fact, it's, it's enhanced the field a lot in terms of running and it's probably brought a lot of people to the sport. So there's nothing wrong with technology, but I think we can become slaves to that technology and that the, the, the single numbers impact what we think, whether the session has been successful or not. And we can beat ourselves up if we haven't quite hit our pace time or our goal time, or, as opposed to actually, you know, at the end of the day, most of us are not going to win an Olympic medal. So what's it for? It's for health, it's for fitness, it's for enjoyment. So if it, if it turns into that singular focus on a time, then we sometimes lose that enjoyment as the aesthetics. And I know when I, you know, ran quite a bit that I, I became one of those people who was just overly focused on my time. And I ended up just really not enjoying it for a while. And, and because I was trying to, you know, hit a certain pacing time and a marathon goal time. And it's just like, at the end of the day, I was never really going to go anywhere in my running, just like I was doing it because I enjoyed it and that, and it took my enjoyment away. So I think, I think the other thing is, is to, um, you know, I'm going to talk marathon running, but if you look at each of your runs, um, you know, whether it's a, a long distance, whether it's race pace, whether it's sprint or hill training, I think going out and really writing down before you even go out, what was useful is what, what is my clear purpose and intention for this run? And it's not just the physical, like I'm going to do, you know, I, I need to hit this pace. I need to do this. It's well, what, what's the purpose? Why am I, why am I doing this? And, and again, it can be, race pace, et cetera, but really identifying an intention. And maybe your intention for certain days is I'm going to run with a smile on my face because I want to enjoy it. I get to do this. You know, I'm very fortunate that this is a hobby that I can do. So I think just identifying a clear purpose for each run, it, um, it really helped me with my training, especially when I got very orientated into time and stuff. And I was not an, an elite runner by any stretch. So I think just identifying a clear purpose for each run, um, it can really aid in that kind of just disconnection from just focusing singly on time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, as a coach, what I can say is the recovery run, the slowest running you're going to do all week, that is the run to ditch the watch, just run super easy, have fun, and you don't have to put any performance expectations on yourself. Well, Duncan, this was really interesting. I love learning about these mental skills and different ways that we can become more mentally fit athletes. Thank you for your expertise. Thank you for your time. Uh, if we want to follow along with you online or your work, where can we find you? Yeah. Thanks, Chase. Thanks for having me on. I'm, you know, I'm relatively active on Twitter and that's uh, sport psych dunk D U N C. Um, so that's really the best place. If, if people want to contact me via email, it's duncan.simpson at img.com. And those are probably the, the best two ways to to get hold of me and yeah I'm happy to have some feedback and any questions anybody has excellent thanks duncan and i will include links to your social profiles and all of that in the show notes thanks for being here
Thank you. There we have it. I got so many valuable nuggets out of this conversation, and I know that if you apply just one or two of them, you'll notice the difference. If you found this episode helpful, a review on Apple Music or sharing this with your running group is so appreciated. Finally, I want to mention that our program, Mindset Mastery, has been updated with all new content. There's now ultra-marathon plans for the 50K, the 50-mile, and the 100-mile distances. We have a new video on using humor to lighten the cognitive load of training, and also two worksheets on how to develop non-outcome-oriented goals and more. Go to strengthrunning.com slash mindset to see everything that's new. Finally, I want to hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free sample pack with four flavors and eight packets at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You only have to pay for shipping. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors, and I'm partial to the citrus flavor, which I honestly can't get enough of. It's tasty, it's delicious, and it's something that I really enjoy when I do any running more than, say, about 45 minutes. And there's actually now mounting evidence that the higher recommended sodium intake levels from the FDA are not actually harmful, especially for athletes. If you're working out a lot, if you're running in the heat, you probably don't have to worry too much. Now, of course, ask your doctor if you're worried, but for those athletes running five or more days per week, training for longer events, or outside in the heat, an electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I'm encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and pro athletes have all started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You can try their sample pack and get your hydration optimized for the upcoming spring season. That's our show today. Thank you everyone for subscribing to the podcast. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you, feel free to reach out at support at strengthrunning.com. Talk to you soon.